That somebody is Jesus. Our text this morning for this service to begin with is from the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. (laughs) Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Like all Bible texts, this text has a context, and it is written to a church in Philippi, which was a major Roman colony on the Greek mainland in the province of Macedonia. Paul the Apostle visited this city on his second missionary journey, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. It's there that he met Lydia, uh, wealthy woman of faith. It's in this city that a slave girl was delivered from demonic oppression. And as a side note, Paul and Silas were jailed because of that. But God was in that also because that's where we read the story of the Philippian jailer who was converted along with his family. And so that that provided the basis of a small group of believers in this this mostly Gentile Roman city. Paul's now writing back to them, and it's in this book that he that we read the the majestic words um, with the theme of consecration and commitment and joy to believers. Words like this: "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." That's in chapter one, verse twenty-one. In verse 27 of chapter 1, it it talks about how we should strive together for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, he quotes possibly one of the earliest Christian hymns saying, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about how Christ humbly subjected himself to Calvary and offered his life a ransom so that we could be brought back into fellowship with God through salvation. He notes a little later in chapter 2 that it is God that is working in believers, even in a crooked and perverse generation, much like the one that we are in today. And, and that during that time of our life, even within a crooked and perverse generation, we are to shine as lights. It's in this same book in chapter 3 that Paul says, He counted all things but lost that he might win Christ and be found in him not having his own righteousness, which was by the law, but that he might have the righteousness which was by faith. Thank God that we still teach sound doctrine, that souls can be saved by grace through faith. 
that Jesus died on Calvary and sins can be forgiven and deliverance can be wrought. That souls can press in and, and be sanctified holy and find holiness and purity in this wicked, wicked and perverse generation. Chapter 4 begins with several declarations. The first in, in verse 1 says this, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. He reminds them, you are a loved people, first by God, and also, in this case, Paul says, you're loved by me. I was there, I worked with you, and and I, I don't know if we often look up and down this platform at these pastors, but you know, they love you. Jesus loves you, but they do too. No one here has anything in their hearts except love toward the saints and wanting the very best for them and wanting them to prosper in the gospel. Paul felt just that way. He went on in, in, in verse 2 um, of chapter 4. He, he recognized that we are human and he admonishes a couple sisters. Euodius and Sintiki by name, that they need to get their act together. That's my paraphrase, of course. He says they should be of the same mind in the Lord, indicating to me, uh, actually, what we've heard earlier in teachings, that, that Christians, even godly, saved, sanctified, and baptized people have different opinions and different personalities, and, and that there are times when we have to subject and submit ourselves one to another in order for there to be unity and God's blessing to flow. Amen? He then talks to a brother in the church to be to encourage those that are around about him to to uh, work together in unity and and he, he tells them to encourage the sisters that work and the brothers that work and and that's what we do at this camp meeting walking along the paths and in the services and around the altar uh, ideally we're encouraging one another of course we're praying for ourselves and our needs but but we're also praying one for another and then he says here's how your life ought to be lived with joy no matter the circumstance. Now, I had no idea what testimony would precede this teaching. But I want to tell you something. God intends for all of us to rejoice forevermore. Amen. He says, and again, I say rejoice. Don't forget that. And again, I say rejoice. And again. Now, that doesn't mean just when it's easy. That doesn't mean just when it's going well. That means in whatever situation, salvation brings to a human being a, a change of heart that, that overshadows all the circumstances of life. That overshadows the difficulties and the problems. That overshadows the politics. That overshadows the difficulties, the disappointments. And then, which will be the focus of our teaching, 
the apostle says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. What does it mean to live a life of moderation? What, what does Paul mean in this short little power-packed verse? He, he says, I believe that uh, uh, if we look at the, the original word that this is translated from, um, it, it comes from a couple root words. Um, literally, it is translated in some places as mild and gentle and patient. But, but the root words, uh, each of them uh, have a, a meaning that I think we can expand on a little bit this morning. And the first means that we are to point toward something. Our moderation is supposed to point toward something. Now the second word says we are to be a resemblance of something. Now those two words together are translated into this word, which is moderation here and patient and meek and mild. And, and, and the reality is here, the apostle is telling them, the life that you live should point towards something. And that is the Lord Jesus. The life that God has given you, transformed by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit, should resemble something. And that is Jesus. The King James English version of the Bible translates this, uh, this verse, as I told you, into the words gentle and patient. And uh, some other translators have, have used other words like good sense or courtesy or forbearance. So you get the idea of the quality of life that the apostles talking about here in a Christian's life and in their relationships. Uh, someone pointed out to me, one of the brothers in the church a couple days ago, an article that said, maybe you could use this word. Uh, you could translate this word sweet reasonableness. And I like that. When you become a Christian, something happens in your heart that just begins to make you sweet and begins to make you reasonable. The easy to be entreated. Not, not always angry about everything. You know, we live in a world that's really angry about just about everything. And it doesn't matter what country you come from. People are angry about everything everywhere. I want to tell you something. We're rejoicing in the Lord. And again, we're rejoicing in the Lord. Because God has changed our hearts. God has transformed us out of the kingdom of darkness. We don't live there anymore. He has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And we don't live like that anymore. We live differently. We live lives that are filled with moderation, with gentleness and patience. Consider these verses. We'll look at three or four of them in which this same word that's translated moderation uh, shows up in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. James is talking about wisdom. And he says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle. There's the word. And easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality 
and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Saved people want to make peace. Saved people, when they, when they are on the job, there is just a peace that surrounds them. That's how it's supposed to be. They are not always the center of controversy. They're not always looking uh, for, we would say, scabs to pull. They're, they're living for the Lord day in and day out. And, and the world begins to know. Paul told a couple young ministers, young pastors, how they needed to behave as leaders. First Timothy chapter three, verse three, and talking about the qualifications for those called to the ministry. He talks here about them not being given to wine. No striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient. That's the same word in the original. Patient, moderate, gentle. It says here, not a brawler, not covetous. So Paul tells Timothy, this is what your life as a leader needs to be, needs to embody. We're all even us pastors are all works in progress. I think Brother Mark said that early in the camp meeting. And I, I thought to myself, Amen. We're all still learning. I, uh, I told someone, I hope by God's grace that I'm a little better at working with God's people than I was however many years ago it was when we started. I hope we've learned a thing or two, but but we have not just learned. Brother Lois Carver, our former superintendent, he, he told me once as a young pastor, do not do not say you have learned. He said, say you are learning. And we are all learning. We are all learning to live moderate, gentle lives before the world because that's what will win them for Christ. Paul told Titus in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, another young minister called to a different place, different culture, different time than Timothy was. Titus, he tells him that they are to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle. There's the word again. Showing all meekness unto all men. Why? He says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul's advice to Titus is, you live a different way than you used to live, and then you be patient with those that are still coming this direction. It matters where your life points. It matters who your life resembles as a Christian. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you'd like to turn to that, 
His admonition is more general in scope, but he's talking to servants and he says, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle. Now that's that same word. Not only to those that are patient, and he goes on to tell them, but also to the froward. Now it's interesting. He's telling the servants how they should respond when they're treated properly, but also when they're not treated properly. But he uses this same word to, to explain what proper treatment is. It's to those that are good and gentle. And then he says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. But if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. In our country, and thank God for our country and the privileges that we have uh, and the uh, the freedoms that we have to worship and and we appreciate that but but we focus even our declaration of independence independence uh does on the the inalienable rights that we have that are given by God but but I believe we have to be a little careful especially those of us that are uh American, that we don't get so fixated on our rights that we forget that in the kingdom of God, our rights are not the most important thing. God's will is the most important thing. We know that from the example of Jesus, who was meek and gentle, and who in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was the King of glory. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He said to, he said to Pilate, don't you understand that right now I can call 12 legions of angels and they will deliver me? But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. No wonder earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Humble himself. Became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. When you think you have rights... God has rights. He created the heaven and the earth. He sent heaven's most precious jewel to redeem you. And he gave up his rights so that you could enter into glory. So be careful about arguing for your rights. We want to live right and we appreciate, uh, we appreciate the privileges that we have uh, that, that are given by God. But, but the way that we live as Christians needs to be, needs to embody the example of Christ. Seems Peter, James, and Paul all understood as we should that pointing to Christ and 
resembling Christ should be the way that life is lived. Now, as a holiness Pentecostal church, we are unapologetic in preaching and teaching that Christ brought not only deliverance and forgiveness, but a new, different, eternal way of living. And this way is, of living is infused into every part of human existence. Our home, our family, our church, our schooling, our employment, our entertainment, our friendships. There is no place in this universe in which God's influence and authority is to be excluded. So what does moderation look like on the ground? Up close and personal in various areas of life. Take a, a moment or two to, to look at that. Families. The scripture tells us that husbands are to dwell with their wives. Giving honor unto them is the weaker vessel. That's first Peter three seven. Reminds husbands that their wives are heirs together of the grace of life. Jesus died for your spouse and not just you. I'm reminded of some friends we have that, that, uh, that, uh, told me uh, a while back. They said that the, I believe it was the wife said, God just put it upon her heart that my husband is also my brother in the Lord. And I should treat him at, at least as well as I treat the other brothers. She's here this morning. And so is he. And they're sitting together. And he knows that she is his sister. And she treats, he treats her the same way. And I know that because I've traveled with them. That's how we are to live moderately in our families. We don't go home and treat our spouses differently than we do people at church. That same scripture in First Peter talks about wives willingly working together in unity with their husbands for the good of the family and setting an example of what it means to be a helpmeet as God intended. Teaching our children to love the Lord and value God and His Word and the fellowship of the saints. Uh, and when you value God's Word and when you value the gathering of, of God's people together in the church, you have a wonderful a dual manual for how moderate life is to be lived. When we were raising our teenagers... And they're adults now raising their own teenagers. But in those days, I remember praying, Oh God, bring some people into my children's life that live for you. So when they won't listen to me, they will listen to them. Now there'll come a time when your kids won't listen to you. They're kids. That's what they do. But if you put them in the right place and you put the right foundation there and you live moderately, then you have the best fighting chance you have that they will embrace the faith. Think about this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Words of the Lord through Moses to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 11 verse 18 to 21. Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, 
and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes, and ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto you, your fathers, to give them as the days of heaven upon earth. Did you catch the last part there? As the days of heaven upon earth. I never caught that in all these years. They, they were to teach their families. And this does not guarantee that your children will, will embrace the gospel. They have free will and they have a, they'll have to make their own choices. But, but he told them, live in a moderate way and teach this, this wonderful truth that we know and do that so that it will be as the days of heaven upon earth. I thought, what if our homes were lived in such a Christian, moderate, gentle way that they were like a little heaven on earth? That's what God intended. Parents are charged with the training of the children, no matter what avenues are chosen to accomplish that. And so finding ways to live for the Lord and teach our children uh, to do so, we, we want to do that in such a way that they will point people to Christ and, and they will then allow people to be attracted to the gospel. Practically, it means to value and protect what God values when it comes to the family. It means that not every activity, not every form of entertainment, not not every choice would be considered moderate or wise and certainly would not necessarily point to Christ or make us reflections of His loving, gentle, and sacrificial character. My wife's father, who's now gone to be with the Lord, had a a saying that I'll share with you this morning. He, He shared it as we were raising our children. And when it would come time to to make a choice about something, uh, Grandpa would always say, well, where does it lead? In fact, Grandpa said that enough times that my children, his grandchildren, whenever they would come up to a choice, uh, the, the, they would even some, sometimes rehearse to each other. You know, they'd look at each other and uh, with a little bit of humor say, well, where does it lead? And, and, and while they were making a little bit of fun of Grandpa, the reality of the matter, Grandpa was imparting moderation to them and truth that what they, the choices they made and which direction they were pointed mattered. Remember, we're supposed to point toward Christ. We're supposed to resemble Christ. And so the question not always is even, is what you're doing okay? But it is, what is the trajectory? What is the direction that it is headed? Some years ago when I was a young pastor, Brother Lois Carver was giving me some counsel and he said, 
You know, you can have two people in the church that are doing the very same thing. But you might treat them or handle their situation differently because it matters which direction they're going. The action may be the same, but if they're, if they're moving from a place of, of not knowing God at all and, and moving closer and closer to God, you will handle that with gentleness and kindness in one way, encouraging them forward. On the other hand, if they've been close to the Lord and they're drifting away farther and farther away, you might handle that in a, a quite different way than you would, even though it's the exact same thing. So, so young people, do not be too hard on your parents or on your pastors or Sunday school teachers when they, hopefully with love, try to help you point your life toward Jesus. Try to help you live your life in a way that would resemble Jesus. You can be sure where you go, what you wear, what you watch or listen to, All of those things point somewhere. They're reflective of someone or something. May God help us that they will point to Jesus. May God help us to be reflections of His character and not just the young people. Did you hear that? I said not just the young people. Sometimes we can get older and we've got all the standards down perfectly But And I mentioned this to a Sunday school class earlier in camp, but we can get a little stiff. And we can forget the mercy that was extended to us, the gentleness and the kindness and the meekness that was extended to us when we were uh, new converts. We need to make sure we extend that because that is what causes people to want to live for Christ. What does it mean to be moderate in church? Well, it's a commitment to Christ. It's a commitment to each other in unity. And while our commitment to Christ is an individual one, for sure, our lives are also lived together in community, or better put, in unity. We heard earlier in camp, uh, on last Sunday, I believe, Brother Lee mentioned, uh, not, not uniformity, but unity. Not all the same, not all all uh, dressed exactly in the same colors or, or whatever, although sometimes that happens too. But literally, unity, a willing choice to subject and submit our wills, our rights, our thoughts, our purposes for the good of the body of Christ. Paul told the two sisters here, he said, be of the same mind in the Lord. Which one of those two sisters was right? When we get to heaven, you can ask them. But for the sake of our discussion and Paul's discussion, it didn't matter. What mattered was that they got it together in unity. That they lived moderately. Why? Because the whole church was watching. Because the whole community was watching. Because the whole world was watching. And if there is disunity in the church, why would anyone from the world want to be here? You have the same problems here that you have everywhere else. Might as well go somewhere else. And God help us. That's not what we want. 
We want saints to come in. We want sinners to come in. And we want them to feel the gentleness and meekness of Christ that calls them to salvation and calls them into the kingdom of His dear Son. We, uh, moderation means faithfulness in worship and in service. Now, we don't want to come to church just as a duty or just as a chore. But in reality, we are debtors to the Lord. A number of years ago, I pastored in Los Angeles, California, and a young man came in that I, I did not recognize. I was still new there, and he had lived there some years before, and he'd given his heart to the Lord. Um, I learned this later. But what, but my introduction to him was at the altar, and he was praying, and, and I could hear him praying, a pretty, pretty loud actually, and it was okay, but he just kept saying over and over, I owe you God. I owe you God. We do. We owe God everything. Without Him, we have nothing. Any of our efforts are in vain without Him. And so, so, in that sense, we want to be faithful. And while it's true, we can worship anywhere. And we also know that because of age, possibly disability or employment, we cannot always be in the house of the Lord. You can be sure that if you miss, you will miss something. Remember Thomas? We have no explanation as to why he was not there. Maybe he had... a. a cattle to take care of, or maybe he had a sick mother, or we, we don't even know. It doesn't matter. But what we do know is because he was not there, he missed something. And when you're not here, even for good reason, you miss something. We don't always feel like being in church. We don't always feel like being in our place. But we don't live by feeling. We live by faith. Amen? Someone asked me once why we should come to church. Now, my answer was not gospel. Okay? But but I, I just told them quickly, I said, well, 65 or 70% of the time, you ought to come to enjoy worship and fellowship and 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 learning and... And all of that. And I said, maybe another 20 or 25%, you ought to come because there are children and, and fellow believers that are, that are depending on you. And I said, take that last 5 or 10% and just chalk it up to obedience. God calls us to be here, so be here. And that's what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. He says, and let us consider one another. You notice, he doesn't say consider yourself. He says consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What about employment? How would you live moderately in the workplace or in school? Well, honor, honorable, ethical, Work with a purpose, not taking advantage of someone else, but instead serving. Diligent work with employees, 
or as an employee with contentment? Jesus told uh, the centurions when they said, what should we do? The Roman soldiers. He told them uh, how they should live. And one of the things he said is, and you should just be content. Told the publicans they shouldn't take more taxes than they were supposed to either. You should live honestly. You should work with integrity, fair pay, and just treatment if you're the employer. Scripture talks about that. And and this would apply in the area of education as well. If you're a student, you should apply diligence and integrity. Why? So you can have a higher degree? So you can have the acclaim of graduating magna cum laude? No. So that God will be glorified. Moderation understands that we work to glorify God, and then God, according to Philippians 4.19, provides our needs. Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Our lives to be, are to be lived for the benefit of the world around us, not ourselves, Not to be hidden. Not to be lived only at church, but to be known by the world around us. To store clerks and business associates, classmates. I would not be here today if a shy young lady in high school had not lived a moderate Christian life. She was fun. She was full of joy. But she did not live like everybody else. And that, that intrigued me. And it took months before she finally got enough nerve to actually invite me to church where I sat with her father. I'm still here. We'll finish. I know I feel, maybe you feel like I, I sort of switched topics when the title was The Lord is at Hand. There are two reasons why you need to live this kind of moderate life. And those reasons are, the Lord is coming. But maybe even more importantly than that, the Lord is here. He is at work in the world around about us. We don't just get saved, sanctified, and baptized, and then God shoves us off to live until He comes. No, He walks beside us day by day, even in dark times. In the book of Jeremiah, we won't turn to it, but but the Lord tells the, the children of Israel that are going to be sold into Babylonian captivity that they are to build houses, they are to raise their children, and they are to pray for the peace of the city where they are. They are to live moderately. Consider, consider Daniel and the three Hebrew children. They're a great example of moderation. They stood up against the culture... But, and you, we, we, we celebrate the three Hebrew children that stood when Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, idol in the plain of Dura was there. But if you read the entire context, you find that Daniel and the three of them long before that were living moderate lives. And when they wanted them to eat the king's meat, they simply offered an alternative. How about if we have pulse? They didn't fight. 
They just, they just said, we live differently than that. And, and when they did that, God blessed them and God gave them favor. And, and it is true. Sometimes we have to come face to face with the reality and take a stand. But if you have to take a stand, you had better have started living moderately long before that or no one will believe your stand. Daniel lived through four political administrations in Babylon. Four. And do you know what? They knew his reputation. Even the king, the people he worked with did because they said the only way we can trip him up is by, by the fact that he prays all the time. Well, that's, that's a, that's a good reason to be tripped up, I guess. If you pray all the time and people have a problem with that, well, they'll have to, they'll have to deal with that. But the king also knew and he immediately came to Daniel and he said, your God will deliver you. How did the king know that? He knew that because of those 80 years of consistent Christian living. Moderate Christian living. The first Bible teaching this camp, I heard Brother Chastain use the word consistent. And as we're coming close to the end of camp, I'd like to encourage you all. If you don't know the Lord, of course you need to get saved. You need to seek your deeper experiences. But we need to live for the Lord. The scripture says, let your moderation be known. The Lord's at hand. Now is not a time for us to circle the wagons and to, and to hang on for dear life because Jesus is coming. Thank God he is coming. Now is the time for us to live for God. Now's the time for us to build gardens. Now's the time for us to, to reach out to the lost. Now's the time for us to spread the gospel. God will help you if you will pray. We're going to sing a song of invitation. May the Lord help us, each one, to embrace the gentleness and meekness which is in Christ and live for Him. 142 is the number. God bless you.